Hello and welcome to episode two of the one, the unofficial podcast of the one championship fighting organization. Thank you so much for joining me. We've got a lot going on today. Just had Friday night fight 16 in Lumpini Stadium in Thailand. And for those of you who don't know, uh, Muay Thai, it's kind of big in Thailand. Not sure if y'all knew that or not. And uh, one Friday Night Fights is in Lumpini Stadium in Thailand, which is the mecca of Muay Thai, in case you didn't know. And, uh, you know, Thailand, to North Americans, it's known for, like, three things. It's known for Thai food, of course, like everybody likes pad Thai. Um, lady boys, you know, oof, love those lady boys. They're so sexy. They're just trying, they're trying to trick us. You know, works on me every time. And the other thing they're known for, the third thing that Thailand is known for in North America is Muay Thai. And, uh, you know, to say it's, it's um, the national sport is an understatement. It's, it, it's a part of the culture there. And Lumpini Stadium is the, is the ultimate uh, Muay, Thai, Muay Thai stadium there. So the fact that uh, one holds these events there and uh, kind of uses this as somewhat of a, a feeder league to to their uh, to their main organization is very significant. Um, one of the things that I find interesting, you know, something that most of these uh, other organizations haven't been able to do, you know, if you talk about like uh, Bellator, PFL. Uh, any of these other organizations, they have never come close to putting on weekly shows. But if you look at one, they had their big event in the U.S. in Denver, uh, you know, previously. Next week, this weekend, they just had uh, Friday Fight 16. Next weekend, they're having another Friday Fights, and then they're having another event after that. So people always say, you know, nobody's in the same same class as the UFC. And uh, one isn't exactly equal to the UFC in every regard, but in this regard, they are. They, they put on shows almost every week. And I think that's significant. You know, those shows aren't on ESPN. I had to go to YouTube to watch this show, but hey, everybody's got YouTube in North America. So you can look at that as a good thing or a bad thing. Um, before we get too much farther... For those of you drinking along at home, I have my cider of the uh, show. It's going to be a woodchuck again. Last time we had woodchuck uh, uh, sangria. This time we're doing woodchuck mimosa. Cider and OJ, little shake and enjoy. I am not going to shake this, but it's uh, 5% alcohol, made in Vermont. It's um, pretty much it. It's got a woodchuck on the front. Oh, here we go. Here's some info. Notes of sparkling wine and orange juice inspired by your favorite brunch drink. Give a slight shake and enjoy. I guess I do have to shake this. Hopefully this doesn't end up ruining my brand new microphone setup I did for you ungrateful people. Let's give that a try. Oh, 
Mm. Tastes like a mimosa. That's pretty good. All right. Next order of business. Let's not make this weird. Let's just get this out of the way. Like, subscribe, ring the bell, do whatever that other stuff is. Comment. Positive comments are great. Negative comments, even better on the old YouTube machine. Uh, today, before I recorded here, I had to uh, go help some family members. Uh, they were moving. I had to help them unpack the moving truck. And, uh, you know, if I was a rich and famous podcaster, I wouldn't have to do this. You know, it would be one of two things. One, I could either hire people to lift heavy stuff for me. Or two, my whole family would resent me so much because of my success that they would never talk to me and never ask me to help them move boxes. Either way, it's it's the fans' responsibility to make me into a rich and famous podcaster so I don't have to deal with this stuff. So let's get this done. Like, subscribe, ring the bell, whatever other things you are you have to do so I could become rich and famous and uh, quit my day job and, and uh, get resented by my family. Great. Well, there's a ton of fights on this uh, on this one card. Um, so let's start going through them because I mean, you know, when we talk about we talk about one FC, one of the big selling points I tell people when if they've never watched it before is, a big selling point is going to be if you like finishes, if you like action, if you like striking, if you like seeing people get finished, you're going to get that in one. And we started off the night with a string of about eight finishes in a row. I mean, that's pretty, pretty rare in North American MMA to get eight finishes in a row. And things did kind of slow down towards uh, towards the end of the card. It was actually kind of weird. I was watching with a friend, and I, I uh, they came over halfway through the card, and I said, "Wow, every fight so far has been a finish except for one." And then the last the, the four of the uh, three of the last four fights were all decisions. So maybe that was just bad luck. But still, either way, it was a great card. Lots of good finishes. Lots of uh, exciting action. You know, one of the things I like about. Um, these Friday night fights is that they're in the ring. It's not in a cage. It's in like, not a boxing ring, you know, because one uses this like specially designed ring. That's great for like kickboxing. It's more, you can lean up against the ropes and the corner and things like that. And you don't fall right out like you used to back in the old pride days. And I like that. One of the things I like about it is that it's way more visually appealing, you know, uh, for anybody who's been to a North American MMA event, uh, in person, it's it's not it's not good for spectating. Like they're in a cage. There's walls around them. There's cameramen. There's the uprights. You know, you can't really see anything, especially when it goes to the ground. You spend most of your time looking up at the uh, monitor in the top of the arena instead of actually watching the fight. You know, it's like I got a monitor at my house so I can watch the fights, and I don't have to pay uh, like fifteen dollars for a beer there. It's called my TV, so. I'll probably stick to that as far as North American MMA goes. Even though the the uh, show is awesome, uh, a, a, a ring is much more uh, visually appropriate for watching MMA. Now, you do have the whole problem of, of guys falling outside of the ropes, and that's an issue. And I think it's something that one can look at and kind of be a pioneer in that regard. 
Um, it seems like they're doing some right moves as far as their ring. It seems like it's pretty good for grappling, all things considered. And, uh, you know, we saw that in the first two fights. You know, the first fight featured a uh, third-degree Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt against uh, a a uh, an oncoming Armenian, Morris Bulayan. And, uh, uh, sorry, Bolian. Now, Bolian's undefeated, and um, there's a reason they put him on first. You know, this guy's got it all. And we're probably going to see a lot more of him. And he had to, he had to overcome a lot of grappling uh, adversity to get this win. And uh, it kind of reminded me of a, of a one grappling match when we first started out because it was uh, Silva just going attacking the legs, attacking the neck, attacking the arm ball. Eventually, uh, Bo- Bolian uh, reversed that and showed why he's undefeated and why he's such a hot prospect and got the uh, first round first round submission um only thing that was kind of weird about that is that after the fight uh chachri gave him the uh, bonus now for any of those uh any of those fighters on the one fight night uh card who happened to watch the event in colorado were probably going um what's going on with the bonus because in the u.s the fighters were getting 50 grand for their bonus. Uh, Rod Tang even got 100 grand. And um, on fight night 16, they were getting 350,000 baht, which is $10,400. So they're probably going, um, maybe I should have fought in that US card. And I could have got like five times as much, but I'm sure. I'm sure Bullion was happy to get the 10,000. I'm sure that goes pretty far in Armenia. So hats off to him. The other thing that made kind of weird is the very next, uh, very next fight, Arash Mardani fought uh, Trucker Kasingov. And uh, Trucker's a kind of a hot prospect. And uh, Mardani just wanted to wrestle. You know, he didn't have any head movement. You didn't see, you tell he's not very strong in the striking department and uh trucker took advantage of that and head kicked him you know because the guy's got no head movement so it's an easy target and uh trucker kasingov really uh made the most of his one debut and here you got a dagestani wrestler this guy could strike you know he's going to have a big uh future in one down the line you know i i foresee this guy getting a contract but uh it was kind of weird because the first fight you had a rear naked choke submission and the guy got the $10,000 bonus. And then the next fight, there's a head kick KO. You know, Trucker gets a head kick KO and no bonus. He even called for it twice. I guess you, you, you don't always get what you ask for. But uh, Trucker, you need to uh, you need to kiss up to Chatri a little bit more and, and see what happens. Uh, see what happens in your next fight. But great, uh, great fight. And so far, great, uh, a great start to the night. Tamerlan Beck. Beckmer Zayov, um, you know, this guy, a couple things I got to say about this guy in his fight. Uh, first of all, terrible nickname, Small Hulk. This guy's got to have one English speaking friend that he could have asked like, hey, um, you know, now that my career is coming along, I'm thinking about a nickname, you know, like the Hulk from Marvel. I think because I'm small, like I'm a smaller weight class, I'm going to make my nickname Small Hawk, Hulk. 
I mean, if he would have asked me, I would have told him straight up. I was like, that's a terrible nickname. You got to do better. You know, he doesn't have anybody looking out for him. Lil Hulk. You know, Hulk Jr. You know, you know, anything but small Hulk. But, you know, well, that's that's probably uh, that's probably something for another day, you know. I would say uh, even, you know, tiny hawk would be better than small hawk. But I guess that's not the point. The point is, this guy was super aggressive, and his opponent was doing a lot of clinching, and that was slowing down the fight, you know. When when I see that in like a uh, kickboxing kickboxing match all that clinching it really slows down the action and and, you know a lot of people say like north american fans would love kickboxing and muay thai and that's true i i do think that that you know a good muay thai match it's the most exciting sports contest out there it's more exciting than mma it's more exciting than kickboxing but um when guys are clinching like that it really slows down the action it's like the equivalent of pushing somebody up against a cage in mma and uh there was a lot of clenching, and the guys were starting to get cry- tired. And uh, Tamerlan kicked his opponent uh, low once in the first round. Referee stopped it, let the guy recover. Um, and then we saw in the second round, the, the kick that actually stopped the fight was another low blow. But uh, the referee insisted that wasn't a low blow. And, hey, you know, nobody's perfect. People make mistakes. But, uh, you know, going forward, that's – that to me seems like a pretty obvious one. I, I don't know if uh, they have the option of doing uh, replay in an event like this, but it's not good to see. You know, it's pretty obvious to everybody who's watching. You got the uh, announcers, the fans, people in attendance. They all see that it's a low blow. So that's something I'd like to see worked on in the future. All right, so we're getting into one of the what I thought was the fight of the night: Ergashov versus uh, Nurpanag. And uh, Ergashov is from Kyrgyzstan. He's a Kyrgyzstani fighter. And his big mission is he wants to bring attention to Kyrgyzstani fighters. He feels like that's his, his job, that he wants people to know that people from Kyrgyzstan can fight. Um, I know a fighter from Kyrgyzstan who's very good. Her name is Valentina Shevchenko ever heard of her so i think it's cool what he's doing but i think the word's out there's good fighters from kurzakstan so good good for you ergashov i'm 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 glad you uh i'm glad you're you're uh promoting kurgistan very uh, very unsung part of the world but uh obviously we already know there's good fighters coming out of there um and he was fighting nurpanag in this in this fight and you know, my views on fighting is there's there's two ways to be a good fighter. You could practice every day. You could work on your technique. You can um, try to do everything perfectly. And that's what Ergashov does. He's very pretty. He's very clean. Um, he's very technical. The other way to be a good fighter is to let your opponent tire themselves out by push, punching you in the face and then keep coming forward and swinging until they drop. And that's what Nurpanog does. And in this case, that works out for him big time. 
because Ergashov was really putting it on him in the first round. And if you would have said, Who, who's going to win this? I would have said Ergashov. He's going to finish it in the second. But Nurpanong had another idea in that fight. And uh, he decided that today was not going to be the day that he was going to lose. He let his hands go. He was not uh, at all deterred by Ergashov's technical striking. And he eventually uh, got, got that guy out of there. And it was just an incredible fight. You know, that guy's showing true warrior spirit. In my opinion, that was the, the fight of the night. Um, I thought it was amazing. He got a bonus, $10,404. What does that get you in Thailand anyways? Is that a lot of money? Seems like it would be like $10,000. seems like you'd be able to like rent an apartment for like a year with $10,000. Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's not, but that's good for him. That dude's awesome to watch and, and the exact kind of fight, fighter that 1FC is made for. Okay, so Ali Sarek, he's 18 years old, and he's fighting a Chinese fighter in uh, Kua Sha Long. I know that Thai fighters start early, and they start fighting when they're like 13, but I can't help but feel like Ali Sarek looks like, uh, like a high schooler that'd be working at McDonald's. I mean, I'm pretty sure this guy doesn't have hair on his balls already, and he was in there uh, with a guy who uh, wasn't playing kid games, and... Uh, Kwasha Long landed a body shot with the toe straight into the liver and put him down in, uh, you know, the first minute of the fight. And I think Kwasha Long is one of those guys that we'll eventually see in one FC. You know, he's got really good talent. And, and uh, you know, my only big problem with uh, 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 that, that fight is the four-person interview. So we're, we're translating from, like, English to Thai, Thai to, to uh, Mandarin, and then Mandarin back to Thai, and then Thai to English. It's like, guys... We got to figure something out. This isn't this isn't the way to do things, you know. Four person interview, like I get it, the guy needs his camera time, but this is too much for me. So, the next fight, I guess it was kind of like the uh, preliminary main card, you could call it. Yod Papa, Yod Pupa. What? My producer's making faces at me. That's his name, Yod Pupa. I'm not Thai. I don't know what it means. But either way, I mean, nobody's making fun of this guy's name because he's 19 years old and he's got 62 wins on his record. And this guy was the road to one Thailand uh, winner, you know. And uh, here, here's a 19-year-old that doesn't look like he's working at McDonald's, you know. And uh, he fought a pretty experienced fighter from Russia, a guy who, you know, Definitely isn't a kid. That uh, he fought Andre Kromov. Kromov looks like a drug dealer, like like Kromov was uh, Yad Pupa's drug dealer, and uh, he owed, Yad Pupa owed Kromov some money, and he tried to get it, get in a, beat him up to get it, and uh, Yad Pupa kicked his ass because we talk about one way traffic. That was one way traffic. The leg kicks, the striking. It was just. Um, there was no way Kromoff was going to turn that around. You know, he, he was using the jab a little bit, um, and I think he could have had success with that. But, you know, when you got a guy as aggressive as Yod Pupa, you're not going to be able to implement uh, uh, um, a game where you kind of stand back and wait to strike. So at the end of the fight, after he knocked out uh, Kromoff, he uh, 
S. Chaudhry when he's going to fight in, in one. And this is a guy that I feel like, even at 19 years old, he's ready to fight in one. Um, I don't know if that's going to happen yet, but the kind of performances this guy's putting on, you know, he's must-see TV. He's exciting. He's got that warrior spirit. This guy should be in, in one. Another guy that should be, you know, featured more heavily, Mr. Rody, one of my new favorite uh, fighters, Suleiman from uh from miramar he fought petek petek's big thing is he's like a marathoner you should stick to marathoning bro because uh you know suleiman flattened him like a pancake you know because he's mr roadie it's like a pancake yeah yeah guy's incredible um he's got he's got it all he's he's got star power i want to see this guy in more fights um I don't want to see the four-person interview. He's another one who got a four-person interview. Let's pass on that. But this guy's great. I really like him. Uh, Samurai versus Pet Kantong. You know, what can you say? Samurai slept him. When you're wearing, you know, big Muay Thai gloves, you could definitely cover up. But when you're wearing four-ounce gloves, you can't play that game. And Pet Kantong thought he could play that game and samurai showed him why he couldn't you know samurai came around and then when uh pet kong tong tried to tried to respond he landed a hook from hell um and made him pay for overcommitting on that right hand so that's that right there is going to be my ko of the night it was awesome 10k bonus for that guy too so at this point, we've had nothing but uh, KOs and one submission. So we're going to get our first uh, our first uh, decision of the night between Sanrock and Parun, Parun Hatnoy. Uh, and the first round was super explosive to this. I was like, oh, we're definitely getting another finish. Um, but things slowed down in the second and third round. And, uh, you know, Parun was trying to, to incorporate that step and elbow, and I think that kind of hurt him because it opened him up for some damage. And then fatigue was a factor for both these fighters, you know. Um, but overall, I just want to put my name in the ring that if one is looking for judges, uh, sign me up because they don't do much. You know, they don't have to do a lot of work because so few fights go to um, a decision. This was the first one of the night that went to a, a decision. Um, I'll tell you a fight that didn't need the judges was, uh, Pachija. You know, Pachija fought some poor, uh, French woman named Ines Paludi. These, this, there's levels to this game and Pachija's at the top, top level. Uh, they call her the queen. She is the queen, queen of kicking ass, 200 plus wins and only 12 losses. And she's like 22 years old. Um, it, 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 this, this wasn't even competition. She put, she put, uh, Ennis away and it was, it was a mercy killing. And at the end of it, she was awarded uh, a bonus, of course. And then she was also the only fighter to be awarded a contract, which I definitely think she deserves a contract. I can't wait to see her in one. Um, I did think there were some other fighters on the card who, you know, definitely deserve a contract, but she, she's way up there. Uh, then Tong, then Tung Tong, he uh, he fought Yu Duang Jai, and Den Tung Tuang looked like a uh, like a lower weight class, you know. 
I know they 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 aren't. He just didn't seem to have the physicality to compete with uh, Yu Duang Jai. This is our other decision, unanimous decision. You know, the 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 judges all saw it the same way for Yu Dong Jai. That's kind of how I saw it. And then uh, the main event we've all been waiting for, uh, uh, Kangtor Rane and E.T. So you would have guessed that this was going to be the most exciting fight of the night. You know, E.T. has that knee that he's known for. He slept a guy in like the first minute of his last fight. Um, and I don't know what it was. Maybe it was like the pressure of the moment or uh, or uh, there might have been uh, – you know, some other factor in there, but this fight didn't really seem to deliver. I mean, it was, it was, uh, uh, not a terrible fight. It's just after all those, all those finishes, then to get two decisions in a row was uh, kind of a letdown. So, um, you know, these guys, you know, they're very equally matched. They fought three times before and you kind of saw that. And, uh, you know, it seems like in this competition between these two, um, uh, Kong is starting to pull away. You know, he got the majority decision. One judge gave it to E.T., but I, I thought that was a good decision. You know, E.T. couldn't land the knee. He was trying to, but he didn't seem to be able to pull the trigger, and, and you kind of saw that. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with these two guys uh, going forward, if we're going to see more of them. Uh, I thought, you know, neither of them really looked like uh, they were delivering the kind of fight that fans wanted to see, but we'll see what happens in the future. Overall, I mean, you talk about excitement. It was like, like uh, you know, all but three of the fights were were finishes, and that's one of the things I just love about one. It's like you get one fight after the other. There's not a bunch of fluff and stuff. They go in the cage, they get they get the finish, and then we're on to the next one. So I thought it was a great night of events, and it kind of shows you, you know, there's there's a lot of content that you can consume from one. They're they're doing something right over there in in, uh, in Asia. All right, looks like we've got a ad read here um, that my producer has been nice enough to provide for me. Okay, <clears throat> get my microphone set up here. Ladies and gentlemen, are you a diehard UFC fan? Do you dream of possibly, although probably not literally, seeing your name immortalized in the octagon? Well, for the low price of nine hundred ninety-nine, is that a typo? Nine ninety nine. No, like a thousand dollars. Oh, okay. I, I'm just asking. Well, for the low price of nine hundred ninety nine dollars, have we got a deal for you? Introducing UFC two ninety name on canvas. The perfect opportunity for those of you who never got your parents' approval to show those girls who made fun of you in high school that you are not a loser. In the past, you would have had to die tragically in a car accident to get your name immortalized in the octagon, but not anymore. It seems a little soon. Okay, well, whatever. But hold on, folks. We're not just offering a personalized canvas section. Oh, no. We're taking it to the next level. Just 8 to 12 short weeks after the UFC 290, we'll cut out your name and send it like a virtual hug from your dad and frame it with a commemorative photograph. It's the ultimate shrine to your own awesomeness and proof that, you, and proof that your bitch, bitch ex-wife and her new boyfriend Gary are wrong about you being an, al an alcoholic. Hmm, that's weird. 
uh, imagine proudly displaying your very own piece of Octagon history in your man cave slash daughter's bedroom every other weekend except on holidays. You don't get to see her on holidays because you're an alcoholic and you use the holidays as an excuse to drink too much. This seems like weird, like oddly specific copy. I, th I think we should check in on the guy who's writing the copy for the UFC. No, not now. After, after the show. Okay. We're talking exclusivity here, folks. UFC collectibles will use state-of-the-art technology to authenticate your framed masterpiece. Masterpiece. What state-of-the-art technology could you possibly need to authenticate this? It's, it's literally a piece of canvas with your name written on it. Uh, anyways, uh, it's like being inducted into a tiny UFC Hall of Fame right in your own home. You're a first ballot Hall of Famer in the fight wing for that classic battle you had with your ex-wife two Christmases ago. Uh, you know what? This is get, just getting weird. I'm, I'm just, okay, I'm going to finish it up. So what are you waiting for? You loser. Step into the octagon of opportunity and pre-order your UFC 290 name on canvas right now. Uh, there is a couple disclaimers here. Am I supposed to read the? Uh, okay. All right. There's a couple disclaimers here. Uh, due to the personalized nature of this historic collector's item, the UFC cannot offer refunds or exchanges. So if you order this and suddenly your lawyer needs money to fight the latest restraining order, we can't help you. Additionally, the UFC requests that you refrain from submitting the following. Racial slurs. The phrases, let's go Brandon, or build that wall, an eggplant emoji, or the name of your failing podcast as your personalization request. And now, back to the show. All right, we also had a UFC event. UFC on ABC, just like a bigger show for them. When you think about... Uh, when you think about access, you know, not everybody has ESPN. A lot of people have ESPN. But uh, not everyone. But uh, I don't. I'd like to know how many homes in America have ABC. It's got to be like over two hundred million, you know. So these are always a big opportunity for the uh, for the UFC to kind of uh, kind of get new fans, and they always kind of go above and beyond. You know. That being said, as far as like the quality of the card, um, and like what the fighters that were on there and the quality of the matches, you know, this can't compare with the title fight, but you're paying zero. I mean, not even a subscription to ESPN to get this fight. You could just watch it on ABC versus paying like $85 for a pay-per-view to see the card that was on the UFC put on last weekend, you know, and I'm not complaining about the card last weekend. It was, it was, a good card. There were some good fights on there. There's a lot of finishes. I pointed that out last week. But when you talk about like what you're paying versus what you're getting, this is a pretty good card. Um, and I like these cards because these type of cards, you get to see what the future of the UFC is going to look like in a year or two. And I'll get more into that. Unfortunately, even though this was a great card, there's still going to be some controversy we'll have to go over and kind of take a look at. So the one of the first things I'll talk about is the weight cutting. You know, um, I personally don't think weight weight cutting should be allowed. I think it's it's it has no place in modern modern combat sports. 
I, I think that the way the, that one is doing it is a, it shows you that that's like a big improvement, you know, with the with the hydration testing and and, um, you know, not allowing uh, fighters to cut weight. But I don't think it's enough. I think instead of USADA, you know, instead of making all these guys uh, uh, submit their pee, I think that one should have an organization like USADA, but their job is to go out and, and, and uh, when the fighters are in camp, check their weight and make sure that they're, they're walking around weight is the same as their fighting weight. Um, because, you know, eventually we're going to have somebody lose their life from weight cutting, you know, and it's not going to be a good look for the sport. Uh, it, it happens in, in uh, college wrestling all the time. If you look back, you know, over the last, 30 years, there's a lot of people that have lost their life from weight cutting. It's not healthy. You're literally like uh, killing yourself to do it. And we get a diminished product. How many fights do people have tough weight cuts and then they don't perform as well? You know, I, I, I just think there's a way to get around this and not do it anymore. We lost a great fight. Um, one of the guys who was cutting weight, he had such a bad weight cut. He didn't even attempt to weigh in Pete Rodriguez, uh, just told the commission, hey, I'm not fighting. And uh, he was supposed to fight Natan Levy. Natan Levy's an exciting fighter. You know, I would have liked to see that fight. Uh, uh, Brian Battle had a, uh, a big fight. He's from that area where the event was held in uh, South Carolina, I want to say. And uh, he missed weight. And it used to be that there was like a lot of... Uh, a lot of negative implications for missing weight, but uh, Dana decided to still pay him his uh, $50,000 bonus, which I don't necessarily, um, I don't necessarily hate that. Like the guys probably, you know, he came out there and performed and electrified the crowd, but it's like, you know, it's also, you know, it's, there's that stuff that rules there for a reason. It's supposed to incentivize fighters to make weight. So their fight actually means something. You know, if you can miss weight, have a great fight, get the bonus, go on to do bigger and better things. What's the incentive to even make weight? You know, so I, I don't know if that's the right call or not. But uh, uh, unfortunately, uh, un unfortunately, uh, that was quite a factor in, in this fight. Um, the other thing that was uh, a very relevant factor was the refereeing. You know, it seems like the um, these big uh, MMA events in North America, you know, with UFC or Bellator or, or uh, PFL, what they'll do is they'll go into uh, states and then they'll have their regular qualified referees. You know, the uh, you know the the ones we all see on a regular basis. They'll do the uh, the main card, but then you'll have these guys who have you know it seems like they're, they're getting their practice, um, on the undercard. And unfortunately that reared its ugly head, uh, uh, quite a bit. We saw that in the, uh, Mandy boom versus G Yoon Kim fight. I mean, it was a nightmare, you know, it, it, uh, he, the referee twice took away points at the start of a round. And he also took away a point after, uh, the fight was stopped and uh, you know it's just uh it was it was a mess you know that's all that's all i'll say about it you know the fight itself is what it is you know uh kim 
kicked at boom after the round that's not cool you're not supposed to do that um and then she landed in an illegal knee in my opinion boom wanted out of there she didn't want to fight anymore and she saw an easy way to get the win but um there needs to be some consistency with this you know i'd like to see i'd like to see these referees be on the same page and i just don't think you're going to see it you know with uh the all these local commissions In my opinion, the commissions are the problem, you know. I wish we could do this without a commission or at least one commission that oversees every state, you know. We essentially got like the DMV running a $12 billion industry. It's a problem. Uh, we saw it in Silva Dandraj versus Cody Stamen, you know. Stamen got the takedown in the first round. Andraj head kicked him. Andrade got a warning from the referee, and then he stood him back up, despite Stamen's uh, objection. What's the explanation for that? What's the justification? Because Stamen didn't do anything wrong. Stamen exerted a lot of energy to get Andrade down. So why does Andrade get his position improved? Stamen was ne never able to get Andrade back down. And we'll never know what happened, but there's a possibility that Stamen could have used that advantageous position to land some ground and pound and finish off Andrade in the first round when he was fresh. We'll never know because we have referees who don't understand their job. You know, it's, it's pretty clear to me as someone who's watched MMA for any amount of time that you have two options when, when, when um, a fighter does an illegal move and they're in a disadvantageous position. You can take a point and stand them back up, or you could give a warning and keep them in their same position. What you cannot do is not take a point and stand them up. It's common sense. It's not, it's not a, a wild take. And it's one of these things where we're relying on these commissions and they're damaging uh, they're damaging the product, you know. It's uh, it's it's unfortunate to see for sure. All right. So on this card, there's some there's some like I said, some great fights despite all the uh, referees and uh, judges injecting themselves into the fights. Um, the Brian Battle knockout I talked about, it was wild. I can only imagine what it feels like to be in your hometown and knock a guy out in like 14 seconds. You know, we're going to, we're going to the strip club and everybody's, and we're partying tonight, you know? So shout out Brian Battle. Uh, I was talking about the, uh, distractingly hot, uh, Sage Northcutt last week. Carlos Alberg, he's another sexy boy. And, uh, you know, he got in there and knocked out Ihor Proteria, which I felt pretty good about because Ihor Proteria's last fight, he knocked out uh, Shogun, and I'm a big Shogun fan, I'm a big pride guy, and he kind of did some fruity dance after he knocked Shogun out. So I was happy to see Alberg uh, TKO him in the first round, you know. And Alberg, you know, he had that little heck hiccup against Nsechiku, but that's happened to a lot of guys. We, we're starting to realize that 
Uh, and Sechiku is is dangerous when he's hurt, and he did that to Allberg just like he did to his opponent last week. So Allberg is on the way up. You know, he uh, he's he's someone we're going to see a lot more of. He trains with with uh, Edesanya, and he's uh, he's just a just a handsome bastard, and he could fight, and he's big, and he's in a division light heavyweight that needs more stars. So I, I imagine we're going to see a lot more of him. His stars on the rise now. His star's not on the rise as much as Ian Machado Gary. Gary is like, we saw we saw uh, over the weekend that Gary is on a flight path to the moon. Yeah. And I like, I like Gary, you know. People compare him to Connor, but there's, there's no comparison to Connor's uh, ascension to MMA greatness. You know, if I were to go back in a time machine and tell you about how uh, Connor's career was going to play out and um, how he was going to knock out the greatest uh, band, uh, featherweight of all time and like the, what the first punch he threw to win the title, you wouldn't believe me. You know, the, there's a reason Connor's the biggest star in MMA history, and nobody's going to be able to replicate that. Now, that being said, Gary is doing a lot of the right things, you know. We have so many of these fighters who go out there and think that they can just get by on having a good performance. Well, look around. There's good performances all night, every night. You need more than that. You need to talk a little smack. You need to make it exciting. And at the end of the fight, you need to call out your opponent. And Gary does all that. You know, so I appreciate that for him. And on top of it, he's a hell of a fighter, too. You know, he had a couple of uh, 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 fights that didn't quite uh, go to plan, you know, a couple decisions, a couple slow fights. And uh, he decided that that's not going to not going to be the way this fight went down. And we saw a really exciting uh, head kick knockout against a really tough competitor in Daniel Rodriguez. You know. And. This is just the beginning of, of, of Gary's ascension. You know, we're going to see a lot more of them. I personally think they should do an event in, um, in England or Ireland centered around him. And uh, I think it starts on the right. I, I think this is a guy we could see fighting for a title uh, within a year or a year and a half. I, I do think it is kind of a cuck move to take your wife's last name just because she's like uh, her dad's a famous jujitsu fighter. But other than that, I like the guy, so I'll, I'll give him a pass on that one. Um, but hats off to Ian Machado Gary. You know, the original uh, main event for this card was supposed to be Johnny Walker versus Anthony Smith, and you can kind of see that in the walkout. They kind of gave him the main event treatment. And, uh, you know, that's because of Smith. Smith's a star. People like him. He's on TV. He does the show with Bisbing. He's American. There's not a ton of Americans in the uh, light heavyweight division. You know, he's been around for a long time. Midwest boy. I get it. I'm from Chicago. I like Smith. But, uh, you know, Smith has a lot going on. And he's getting older. We kind of saw that in this fight. You know, he looked he looked tired. He looked old. You know, he never gave up. But I think, uh, you know, if I was if I was uh, part of Smith's team, I'd. I, I'd Tell him, hey, maybe not. We're not hanging it up yet, but we're 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 going to be moving towards the the 
the uh, podcast and the uh, commentating career and focus more on that and put our energy in that. You know, there might be some fun fights left for us. We might fight a couple of uh, other older fighters in the in the division, but the the title's probably not going to happen. Hey, maybe I'm wrong. I've been wrong before, but if I was Smith, that's where based on that performance and really his last couple of performances, that's where I'd be with that. No shame in that. The guy's got over 50 fights. He got cut from the UFC, came back after stringing together a bunch of wins on the regional scene, and, uh, you know, made an awesome career for himself, got himself on TV. He's on one of the most popular podcasts, you know, second only to the one championship unofficial podcast, you know. That's the only one that's better than the one he's on. So, you know, there's a lot to like about Smith, but the Smith we saw – this weekend isn't the kind of guy who's going to be competing for a title. Now I could tell you about Johnny Walker, the person who beat him. When Walker first came onto the scene, I thought we had, you know, the next big UFC superstar. Um, you know, he, uh, before he had even got to the UFC, he had a lot of impressive finishes for for everyone who followed his career beforehand. You know, I think uh, when he had his um, his contender series fight, he was coming off like a, uh, a six or seven fight win streak, all finishes. Um, and then he got on contender series, got the win there against Henrik De Silva, and then he just had three mauling performances, three performances of the nights in a row. Khalil Roundtree, Justin Jet, Misha Shirkinoff. And I, I thought, well, here's here's the next big star from Brazil. You know, this guy's this guy's big, he's charismatic, he finishes fights, he speaks pretty decent English. Uh, he used to be a stripper. This guy's going to keep winning until he fights John Jones for the championship, and he might even beat him. Uh, and then he caught Corey Anderson. Uh, on Corey Anderson's last fight in the UFC before going to Greener Pastures in Bellator. And Anderson uh, took advantage of the of, uh, of uh, his his uh, his tendency to overcommit and knocked him out in the first round. After that, he lost a decision to Nikita Krylov, got a win over Ryan Spann, and had two losses in a row, Thiago Santos and Jamal Hill. So the, the champion, of course. So we weren't sure what was going to happen with Walker. Is this it? Is this guy going to get cut from the UFC? We're never going to see his greatness. Well, not exactly, but he's definitely not on that meteoric rise either. You know, his fights, uh, you know, they're still exciting, but they're nothing like what he what he was doing when he first um, what 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 he what he was doing when he first got to the UFC. And this fight's a great example of it. You know, he he's realized he has to kind of scale it back. He can't just overcommit and shoot his load and and go for that exciting finish. He's got to be more um, he's got to be more calculated and 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 you know spread himself out over over three rounds. Uh, but is that what we want to see? I mean, like he's winning in this division. It's not the thickest division, you know, it's argue, you could argue that he's probably, you know, maybe with one more win going to get a, a title shot, but is anybody going to really remember this fight with Smith? Like probably, probably not. 
it's not the impact you want to make. And, and after the fight, uh, Walker said, hey, I, I was doing that because I wanted to um, get that three-round experience and show everybody that I could go full three rounds and show everybody that I could go to decision. That is BS. Nobody goes in there and goes, hey, I want to have the fight go longer so I have more of a chance of getting finished. I want to have the fight be not as exciting. I want to remove my chance of getting a bonus. I want to remove my chance of getting a highlight on TV, on ESPN that everybody's going to look at. He just couldn't, he just couldn't get Smith out of there. I don't know if he was worried about Smith's power at the end of the fight or, or he had a mental thing, but for him to say that he wasn't trying to finish Smith, that's crazy. And I really think that in this division, when you got guys like Yuri Prohaska, who will do anything, he'll risk everything to, to get an excited finish. It's going to be hard to, to compete. So I just think he should probably consider that in his next fight. It was a good win, but you know, people will look back on this and say, Hey, Smith was probably at the end of his career when, when Walker got this win. So it'll be interesting to see what's next for him. Now we got the main event. Jalton Almeida versus Jarzinho Rosenstreich. One second. Hmm. Someone complained on the comments that that's loud in their ears, me drinking cider. And the only thing I would say to that is, shut up, nerd. Just kidding. I love and appreciate my adoring fans. Um, yes, Jalton Almeida. So I told y'all, I told y'all weeks ago when people were talking about, uh, contenders in the heavyweight division, you know, when people were talking about who's going to be next to face John Jones or, or who would we like to like to see face John Jones, you're wasting your breath. Because the guy is Jalton Almeida. Jalton Almeida is the future of the heavyweight division. And I also told y'all that this fight is not making it out of the first round. You know? There's nobody out there who's going to be able to slow down Jalton Almeida. At least not right now. Jalton Almeida, just like I, just like I called it, just like I told y'all, that Jalatin Almeida is going to take out Jarzinho Rosenstrike in the first round. He's going to take him down. And he's going to finish him, which is exactly what I predicted. That's exactly what happened. Let me make another prediction for you. And this time, make sure you're actually listening when I say this. Jalatin Almeida is not going to lose in the UFC heavyweight division until he has a title. He is going to get the heavyweight title. There's nobody that's going to stop him from doing that. He is going to continue to win until he gets the title. He's just going to keep winning. I got some other news for you. An even bolder prediction. Jalton Almeida, after he wins the heavyweight title, he's going to come down and take the light heavyweight title from whoever's champion at that time, whether it be Jamal Hill, whether it be, uh, you know, Yerdi Prohaska, Jalton Almeida is going to be a two-division two champion in the UFC. And why do I think that? Because he's a light heavyweight. And he's crushing guys at heavyweight. Jalton Almeida fought on um, the, the contender 
and light heavyweight. He had his first fight in the UFC at light heavyweight. So why was he doing that? Does he like cutting weight? Does he like skipping meals, sitting in the sauna when he could be, you know, eating whatever he wants and not having to worry about that? No, he does it because he's a light heavyweight. But Jalton Almeida and the people around him took a look at the heavyweight division in the UFC and said, hey, this is easy money. Now, I know what you're saying. I know what you're going to say. You're going to say it's not easy money because John Jones is a champion. Well, yeah, John Jones is the champion. But John Jones is never. Let that sink in. John Jones is never going to fight Jalton Almeida, Sergey Pavlovich, Tom Aspinall. John Jones has won maybe two fights, probably one now, left in the UFC. He just said as much. I just read something from Bleacher Report. John Jones teases UFC retirement ahead of Stipe Miocic's fight. Dana White eyeing MSG for anybody who cares. That's it. John Jones is not going to be fighting these young up-and-comers. I hate to break it to you. He's just not. <coughs> he is going to fight uh, Miocic if the UFC could get that fight done. And then he was planning on fighting uh, Francis. Well, based on the news we got today, that's not going to happen. So he's going to get a big paycheck for fighting Miocic, and that's it. Going to ride off in the sunset. This guy does not want to be fighting young up-and-comers. So that is why I'm telling you, Jalatin Almeida is going to continue to win in the UFC heavyweight division. He's going to probably fight Tom Aspinall for the title. And then he's going to go down to light heavyweight and win the title there too. You know, just remember, you heard it here first. Who's going to fight? Who's going to fight Almeida? Who's going to beat him? Who's going to stop that takedown? Who's going to stop that dominant BJJ? Curtis Blades? That's probably the guy as far as like the established heavyweights who has the best chance of stopping his takedown. But Curtis Blades is a takedown artist. I haven't seen anything that indicates that, that he'd be able to stop Almeida's takedown. I mean, come on, let's go, let's go through it. Let's go through this list of kickboxers and, and stand-up fighters and see which one is going to be able to stop Jalton Almeida's takedown and his rear naked choke. Oh, and by the way, his uh, family are all boxers. And if you look on some of his fights in Brazil, he's got mean hands too. So he could strike and he could take a punch for people who are wondering whether he can or not. Do your homework. He can take a punch. Blagoy Ivanov takes him down, submits him. Alexander Romanov, Chris Dawkins. We saw what happened to Jarzino Rosenstrike. Is anything different going to happen with Derek Lewis, Marcin Tybora, Sergey Spivak? Eh, Sergey Spivak might stop the first couple of takedowns, but that dude's getting taken down. He's getting submitted. Volkov's a karate guy. He's getting taken down. He called out Tai Tuivasa. That's easy money for him. The most interesting fight on here for for 
Almeida is Tom Aspinall. Tom Aspinall is good everywhere. He's the same size. He's, you know, that's the problem. Most of these UFC fighters, they're, 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 you know, they're like obese. You know, they're, they're, they're not well-rounded. If you look at the skill level and say like men's 135, it's light years ahead of heavyweight. Why do you think John Jones wanted to come up there? You know, if, if, if Almeida was a 135er, you know, his takedown ability and submission would be good, but it wouldn't be super remarkable. But in this division, for a guy as athletic as, as, athletic as him, nobody's going to stop him. So just remember, when, when, when Almeida wins the belt, you heard it here first. Great fight by Almeida. Perfect game plan. Um, I hope we could see more of him. I don't see why not. His, he's like at Hamza level, you know. He's, he hasn't really got hit. He hasn't really, you know, been hurt. So I don't see why he can't come back and keep, keep fighting very regularly, you know. If I was him, I would not be afraid to fight anybody in the heavyweight division. So hopefully we'll see more from him in the, in the near future. All right. We also had Bellator over the weekend. Bellator 296. Did you guys watch Bellator? <laughs> Me either. <laughs> Me either. But that's okay. Um, all right. Let's. right. I'll just... I'm not being a hater. I'm just going to read this out to you. Decision. Decision. Uh, decision. KO. Decision, decision, no contest overturned. Don't know what that's about. Decision, submission, that's good. Decision, 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 KO, decision. Is there a reason that Bellator has never caught on the way the UFC has? I'm assuming there are people who are watching Bellator, you know, regularly. They're watching it on uh, Pluto TV and Showtime. But, you know, when you have an organization that their big name talent is usually like um, fighters who have been cut from the UFC or who didn't renew their contract, you know, and, and those guys tend to be guys who are, are good at winning fights but not necessarily entertaining the fans, like, uh, like a Gegard Mousasi, for example, who fought on uh, this weekend's card. You're going to have problems attracting attention to your organization, you know, and that's not Bellator's fault. You know, the UFC has the talent locked down in North America. And on top of it, the rule set doesn't make for exciting fights. We've gone over this, you know, we'll probably go over this a lot. Wrestlers do the best with the North American rule set. Guys who point fight. That's why you have 80% of these fights ending in decision. Um, you know, it's hard to, it's hard as a fan to get, get behind that, you know, and it's unfortunate because Bellator does have some good talent. Douglas Lima, you know, uh, Brent Primus, Fabian Edwards, brother of, uh, Leon Edwards, you know, they're all good guys. I mean, Edwards beat Gegard Mousasi, like hats off to him, but, um, it's, it, it's going to be an uphill battle for, for Bellator. I, uh, I, I, I just don't see how, 
you know, I, the rumor is, is that they're selling the PFL. That's a good idea. You know, get your money, get out while you can have that talent go over to PFL and see what they could do. I personally don't think that PFL, even with all the talent from Bellator is going to be able to compete with the likes of UFC and, and in the future compete with one, you know, I've made it very clear. I think that one has the best chance of competing with the UFC in North America. You know, I don't think having, you know, you know, less well-known fighters doing less fights in a year with less star power and less promotional ability is the way to beat the UFC or compete with the UFC. I think the way to compete with the UFC is to offer a product that's different, you know, that's objectively better, that doesn't have the problems that the UFC and all other North American MMA uh, organizations have, you know. Get rid of weight cutting. That was a problem on this card. Get rid of the corrupt commissions. You know, do this. Get get judges who can score a fight accurately. Make the fights more exciting. Knees to the head of a down opponent. Don't reward wrestling and grappling as the number one criteria for winning your fight. Those are things that a fan could get behind. You know, so not. There's a lot of great fighters in Bellator. I hope they. I hope they. Uh, you know, I hope they're able to have continued uh, success, but I just don't see how something like that. I don't see a world where Bellator could ever be bigger, the biggest MMA promotion in North America. Speaking of the competition, mm, PFL fighters suspended. Let's see here. PFL's light heavyweight season was gutted by the suspensions. Four of the season's 10 fighters have been suspended. Tiago Santos, Will Flurry, Christoph Jocko, and Mohamed uh, Fakardine. Three of the season's 10 heavyweights have been were also suspended. Kapaloza, Rizvan Kuneev, and Cesar Fijera. Uh, in addition to those seven, sources told the ESPN that featherweight fighters Season fighters and Andrea Flores and Daniel Torres were also suspended. Can I ask you a question? Why is the PFL drug testing their fighters? Who's that helping? There's plenty of organiza organizations out there that um, don't drug test their fighters. And, uh, you know, like nothing bad happens, you know, nobody gets killed, nobody gets their head, you know, punched off by some roided up fighter. Like who, what, who's this for? Like why, who, who in the PFL front office said, Hey, you know what we should do? We should do something that might risk us losing a bunch of our talent, you know? And then like, what's the outcome if, uh, fighters don't, uh, use steroids, they don't recover as fast. They're not as strong. Their fights aren't as entertaining. Do you all remember TRT Belfour? TRT Belfour was a legend of MMA. You know, he was head kicking people's heads into the third row. He was putting on exciting fights. He was winning. Once I got rid of TRT, Belfour didn't look that, ex that exciting, you know. He couldn't really compete. You know, the PFL needs every advantage they have, and they decide to hamstring themselves by, by drug testing all their fighters. And, of course, if I was in the PFL, one of my big 
reasons for going there was like, oh, I don't have USADA on my ass. Well, these fighters must have uh, uh, miscalculated because uh, like half of the roster is gone now. I don't know what to tell you. You know, it's like if it was my organization, I would not be testing for steroids. You know, to me, weight cutting is more dangerous than steroids. But hey, I'm going to sound like a broken record. Too bad for those guys. Best of luck. You know, maybe you could get a job. Uh, I don't know, like working as a personal trainer or something. Hope, uh, hope the best for those guys. Hope they don't get suspended too long. It's silly to, you know, be testing these guys and having them lose two years of their career for doing something that a lot of fighters, even in the UFC, do and just do it in a way where they don't get caught because they've got more money. You know, it's really unfortunate. All right, just two more pieces of news and then you can get back to your life. Unfortunately, this is my life, so this, i got to love this 24-7. Israel Adesanya, the GOAT, one of the GOATs at least. Israel Adesanya viciously responds to ex-girlfriend, taking him to court for half of his money. Hold, please. Adesanya did not mince words about his ex-girlfriend, who is taking him to court. Um, Adesanya has worked to build himself up from hardship to become a kickboxer, then UFC champion, and one of the most popular fighters in sport today. Correct. He's had a lot of wins. Um, looks like Sean O'Malley was the person who uh, put this on his podcast. He was saying... Here's Sean O'Malley. I don't really have a good Sean O'Malley. I've seen Izzy tweet something that I was confused because I didn't really know. But Izzy's ex-girlfriend, they're not married, right? Wants half of his shit, O'Malley said. I don't know how their relationship was because I didn't even know he had a girlfriend. But to want half of what he's gone out there and done is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, it's hard to say. Who who knows? Maybe if they were together for 15 years since the beginning and she didn't work because she was consistently making him food, massaging at the gym, doing all this stuff for him. Basically, what O'Malley's saying is that, uh, you know, a girlfriend isn't entitled to half of Israel Adesanya's wealth uh, just because they were in a relationship. Well... And I guess uh, I guess Israel went kind of hard at uh, this this woman, um, this woman, and put a bunch of stuff. I mean, Izzy's the ultimate troll. You don't go at Izzy. Izzy goes at you. Um, but here's what I'll say about this: um, we we know that Israel Adesanya uh, this this relationship was a sham. Now, a lot of people are out there and they say that Israel Adesanya is uh, a gay man. You know, he, he likes his, his pearl necklaces. He likes, you know, his manicures and his French tips. And, you know, people are like Israel Adesanya is gay. And I just I think that's kind of homophobic. Israel Adesanya is not gay. He's not gay. He's pansexual, just like me and every other person under 40 in America. He's pansexual. Okay, so if you're like 60 and you don't know what that is, pansexual means you like guys, girls, transgender people. You like it all, furries, whatever. That's Israel Adesanya. He's not gay. He's not gay. Don't be homophobic. Um, now, is this woman his girlfriend? I, uh, 
You know, they have a they have a saying in the in the gay community. It's called a beard. And what a beard is is, for example, if you were a gay man, and you had a, a, a woman who you would bring to your family uh, for like holidays and things, and that way your family could think, oh, my son who's been in theater since he was a little boy and uh, um, who who really knows how to moisturize and have great skin and, and pluck his own eyebrows. Um, he's not gay after all, because he's got this woman with him. That's a beard. Okay. And I really do think that this is, uh, this is Israel's, his beard. You know, this woman is, is, uh, you know, and she should get paid for that, right? Like, hey, that's a lot of commitment. You have to go to, you know, go to family events and go to fights and do all this stuff with them. And then you don't get a real relationship out of it. You have to sleep in separate beds. Like maybe they have a bunk bed set up. Maybe I'm not sure what it is. But basically what she was doing was getting to live the rock star lifestyle next to Israel as his beard. Um. And she wants some compensation in exchange. I think she deserves compensation. She gave a couple years of her life. Uh, not half of not half of Israel's money, but she deserves something. I think she should get like you know maybe ten percent. Nah, that's too much. Israel's loaded. He's got a, he's got a lot of cars and money. Maybe, maybe like five percent. You know, but, uh, you know, she should get something. So good luck to her. I hope Izzy, Izzy doesn't uh, trash her too bad on the Internet. And shout out to all my um, all my fellow pansexuals out there. Everybody exploring their sexuality. Hope you can do it in a, uh, a positive and safe environment where uh, uh, people don't hate on you. All right. Last piece of news. You know, when uh, when Francis left the UFC, I was the first to say, with a lot of confidence, Francis is going to fight um, Tyson Fury or Deontay Wilder. And then he's going to go back to the UFC and fight John Jones. And all the people who are hating on him are going to realize they made a big mistake. And that they misjudged the situation. How's my lighting? Good? Okay. Well, I'll look good. Because I'm going to clip this one out, put it on the internet, and become internet famous. Ah, that's probably really annoying. Sorry to the six people who are going to hear this. So we, we weren't sure what was gonna what was gonna happen with Francis, but I was pretty sure. I was pretty confident. I thought he was gonna go out there, get a pro boxing fight very easily, and then come back to the UFC and fight John Jones. When Dana White said John, that Francis is never coming back to the UFC, I laughed. You know. Dana White has to do his job as a promoter in the UFC. He has to uh, he has to say that kind of stuff when somebody leaves the organization because he's trying to protect his 
his investment. He's trying to make sure that no fighter in the UFC becomes bigger than the sport. He doesn't want um, the UFC to turn into boxing, where guys just go, they represent themselves, and then we never, we never see the big fights because guys are representing their own interests, like in boxing, and not the UFC's interests. People forget that Dana White was a, uh, a, a boxing manager. He managed boxers before, uh, before getting involved with the UFC. He saw what that that sport, um, he saw what that sport had become, and he doesn't want that to to become the UFC. Now, what he does to protect the UFC, I don't necessarily always agree with, but I know where he's coming from. He's not doing it because he's, um, I mean, I, I don't want to say he's not doing it because he's not a bad person, <laughs> but he's doing it to protect his investment and protect the business. And, uh, you know, when Francis leaves, this is a pretty big star. He's leaving because he thinks he can make more money on his own promoting himself. And if every big star in the UFC does that, then suddenly the big stars aren't fighting each other in the UFC. So it's understandable why he was protective. That being said, of course, I love what's what Ngannou was trying to do. When I thought that Ngannou was going to go fight Tyson Fury and then come back and fight John Jones. I was so confident. But I was wrong. I'm right about the Jalton Almeida thing, but I'm I was wrong about this. Not completely wrong though. I still think he's gonna go and fight a big big name boxer. Why do I think that? Even though he signed with the PFL, there's no fight announced. There's nothing to indicate that. Well, three letters. Three letters. M V most valuable promotions you know that's uh you know whether we like to admit it or not or i personally think it's great you know uh jake paul has a boxing promotion and jake paul is part of the pfl's you know pay-per-view superstar league and I believe that, you know, people probably don't think that now, but I think that that relationship may lead to a big boxing match with Francis Ngannou. It's not outside of the realm of possibility. Let's take a look at what Francis Ngannou got out of this deal with the PFL. So if you remember, when we look back, you know, in the last several months when all the MMA journalists were, you know, saying, oh, Francis has made a mistake. He should go crawling back to the UFC. He has unreasonable expectations. That was the big thing. Unreasonable expectations. He wants, you know, ownership in the company. He wants to sit on the board. He wants to guarantee all these different things for fighters. 
he wants 50% of the pay-per-view share. He's never going to get that. That's what Feldman said from BKFC. He's never going to get that. It's unrealistic. Now it's looking like Francis never even talked to Feldman. That's the word on the street. You know, he wanted an advisory board for the fighters. Well, the PFL already has an advisory board. He's going to sit on it. He wants fights in Africa. Well, he's going to be the chairman of PFL Africa, and he's going to be a minority shareholder. He owns part of the company now. If, if that's successful, he's going to get a share of that. His, his income now, his future isn't entirely dependent on whether or not he wins fights. He doesn't have to worry about half of his paycheck going away because he lost a fight, because of some bad judge's decision, or not getting his paycheck because someone missed weight. When Francis, when Warwick's coming out that Francis Ngannou had all these wild claim, uh, wild demands, everybody in, in the uh, MMA media space laughed at him. And they said, oh, it's unreasonable. He has unreasonable demands. He's making the wrong decision. Well, I got news for you. He got everything he asked for. And all those demands that people said were unreasonable, he ended up getting. So, I originally thought that Francis was going to go and fight Tyson Fury or Deontay Wilder or one of these guys and then go back to the UFC. That would have been a best case scenario for me. He would have made the $20 million. He would have gone back to the UFC, made a few more bucks over there, retired as a rich man. But what Francis has done is even better than that. He's got ownership stake. He's got a future. His outcomes aren't based on whether he wins or loses a fight. And that's a big deal. That's more of a success than getting a $20 million boxing match, believe it or not. It's a really big deal. And what's most surprising about this to me is that this is happening in the PFL. You know? Normally what the PFL does for, for, um, for press releases is they go, hey, you remember this guy who fought in the UFC and who was towards the end of his career? Well, he's fighting in our tournament now. PFL is actually doing something. Now, are they going to be able to compete with the UFC? Are they going to be the biggest name in North American MMA someday? I don't think so. But what they're doing is interesting and it's different. And if Francis is going to be their guy, you could do a lot worse. Um, you know, if your strategy is to open up a whole new continent, you could pick a worse guy to do that, you know. And uh, I just think that, you know, the MMA media space, all those journalists who who said that this guy doesn't know what he's doing. He dropped, he fumbled the bag. You got all these like 50 year old guys who, 
you know, think that they're cool. They said, oh, he fumbled the bag. Well, he didn't fumble the bag. You know, all you MMA journalists who make like $45,000 a year and live in New York fumbled the bag. Trust me. You know, journalism isn't a real career. Trust me, I'm doing it. You know, he made the right decision. You know, it's not the decision necessarily as a fan that I want to see the most. I want to see him fight John Jones. But this is the right decision, and it's going to lead to interesting stuff in the future. So hats off, Francis Ngannou. You went your own way. You represented yourself. People doubted you. People hated on you. Congrats. I saw you recently, uh, or just, just right before I started recording, you did an uh, interview with, uh, with uh, Ariel. And he was talking about his interaction with Chathri. Uh, and uh, he was saying how, you know, him and Chatri weren't even talking business and Chatri, uh, you know, mischaracterized that, that entire interaction. I'll just close on this. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. It sounded like he already had the PFL deal locked in when he talked to Chatri. You know, the PFL deal is like the worst kept secret in, in MMA history. We kind of already knew even back then a couple weeks ago that uh, he was probably going to PFL. But, um, you know, Chachri's a promoter. He was promoting his brand. He was using Francis to promote his brand. He wanted people to think that maybe Francis was going there, even if he wasn't. But by promoting his brand through Francis, he was also promoting Francis. And people were talking about that that one FC thing, and they were talking about Francis. So if I was him, if I was Francis, I wouldn't be too salty about that. You know, yeah, it might be a little bit inaccurate, might have hurt feelings, but just remember, there's no such thing as bad press. And if people are talking about you, that's a good thing. Plus, you don't know, a couple of years, you might be fighting for one FC. So make sure you play nice with uh, with Chatri. He's got a long memory from what I hear. So that's it for this week. I hope you found that content uh, exciting and interesting and you liked my ad read. Uh, I'm planning on putting one of these out every week. You know what I ask, you know. Come on, it's time to pay the man. I'm trying to get rich, trying to get paid, trying to get some sponsors up in here besides your name on the mat for UFC 290 or whatever the ad read was. Had a few ciders at this point. It's hard to really remember getting sweaty, getting ready for ready for a nap. What you could do for me, like, subscribe, ring the bell, share, tell your friends, comment. Comments are great, especially if you're hating. Hey, I hate the way it sounds when you're drinking cider on the show. Put that in there. I love it. Hey, I hate the way... Um, you talk bad about my, my, my favorite fighter, you know? I get it. A lot of my fans live at their mom's house. They got a lot of resentment. Put those comments in there. They help the algorithm. They help me get rich trying to get paid, baby. Thank you all for listening in all seriousness. I appreciate each and every one of you, and I'll see you all next week. Next time we tune in for The One.